Cars today are safer, more reliable, and packing more technology than ever before. But if you're looking for an appliance on wheels, this isn't your show. We want to help everyone find a car they'll really love, capable on the commute, and a laugh on your favorite road. If you take the long way home, this is for you. New cars, used cars, whatever your budget, whatever your needs, if you like to drive, we want to help. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Welcome, everyone, to Everyday Driver's 100th podcast. This is a milestone for both of us. It's come sooner than we expected, actually, because we went to twice a week, doubling up on mm -hmm. podcasts. But as you might have suspected, as you might have known, we have asked for all your non-car-related questions, <laughs> and we are scared yes, we did. beyond belief right now. We're, we've made the list. It's, it's frightening. We're scared. Although it's a commentary it's, into all, all of our listeners and, and watchers. It's kind of a commentary into what people are thinking about. It's pretty funny to, to read their questions. Which is here. what makes it a little bit scary, actually. <laughs> we've, got, we've got almost 80 questions you guys threw out, which means if we tried to cover them all, it would be like 30 seconds of question. It's not going to happen like that. We've picked, I don't know, <laughs> yeah. 30 or so. We're going to try to cover all of those. It's still going to be buckle up or settle in or whatever. <laughs> oh it's going to be a long podcast. It's going to be long. <laughs> This is crazy. Everything but cars tonight. Everything but cars. It's crazy. I'm scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. We've got nearly keep scrolling. 80 keep, questions. Just, just, just keep scrolling. There's going to be lots of scrolling. Holy yeah. huh? moly. <laughs> I'm laughing. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. There's some good ones in here. Well done, guys. There's this some good. great ones. Well, and, and a lot of film ones, which is cool, and a lot of stuff about just rant. There's a few of you that were in a random place today when you posted questions. <laughs> yeah. so I'm looking forward to a couple of those, like, left field questions, too. So, oh, and I will acknowledge right now, uh, we are not answering any math questions. One of you wrote a, a, a word math problem, and I promptly <laughs> skipped it. So, I went to art yeah. school. I've got an out over here. I went, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. Math? What? Even though that's all I use there, on a there daily is, basis. There is only... There is only one piece of actual show business we should really cover before we dive in, though, and that is our new Adventures tab on the website. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you brought this up. This is going to be uh, a lot of fun, and uh, we are directing your attention to the Pilgrimage tab. This is based on the film that we shot last year, mm -hmm. 2015, and we are calling out you guys. You've wanted to drive, and this is your chance to go with us and essentially do what we did in the pilgrimage film. So go to the but adventures better. tab. But better, agreed. But, but better because you know you and I were talking about recently. In fact, a couple of you have already written in for more info. So thank you. There's a few of you circling the trip. We're excited for for you to come on board. We are only taking 12 people on this trip. And uh, the sooner you sign up, the better at some point later as we get closer to the trip. I know you're thinking September's a long way away. It's really not. And by mid-July, the price goes up a little bit. It's not cheap to begin with, but the price goes up a little bit just because of obligations we have financially on the trip. So uh, sign right. up early. First 12 slots go. There's a couple signed up already. We would love to have you. We acknowledge it's not cheap, but Paul and I have joked about the fact that this is actually a little more expensive. I mean, pardon me, a little less expensive than like if you did a four-day track school. And it's more driving than we did for the pilgrimage yeah, film. actually it is. It's funny. That's it's funny. insane, and it's like closed, specialized track days on the ring and on spa with a road tour in the middle. And if uh, you, you can't pull that off but you want to join us, we have a Chicago track day coming up in August. Please look into that. We would love to meet all of you. If you want to come anywhere from Chicago, I know there's some of you in St. Louis that have talked about it. Come on up. We're going to be in Gillette, 
and at the Audubon Country Club, we would love to have you there. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that'll be the U.S. track day and that'll be the, the one day, Monday, August 22nd, in conjunction with Sean Young, who operates Laps Incorporated. And so he has generously let us come on board and kind of piggyback on what he's already got there. And uh, we're, we're able to accept a lot more people. So go to the Adventures tab on everydaydriver.com and you'll find both of them right there. So just keep scrolling and you'll find both the pilgrimage and the Chicago track day. So now that we've got that out of the way and we've promoted both the trips, here we go. Here we go. Yes. hundred questions. No, not a not hundred questions, but it feels like it. Anyway. Five hours yeah. later. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. Podcast in volumes coming up next week. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it's longer than your audio book. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, I, you know what? I, I should do one more caveat. It's not a business caveat, but it's a caveat covered a lot of questions. We're not really going to cover a couple of things. We're not really going to cover a uh, what do you guys do for a living? How did the show start? Uh, we're not going to cover how did you meet? We're not going to cover that stuff because I don't know if you remember, but almost a year ago, it was July 21st of last year, we did our one-year anniversary podcast. Right. We spent an hour really walking through that entire timeline. If you're curious, we encourage you to seek out that podcast. Again, July 21st of last year, 2015, we walked through a lot of that. Some of that will get touched on tonight, but we're not going to get into it hardcore because we really have covered that whole timeline. Yeah, it should be in the 50s, not quite 52, I think, but uh, in the 50s, somewhere in there. So, yeah, about uh, about that. Um, and uh, It is July 21st. I did look that up, yeah. It was July 21st. Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, look those up because uh, not that we don't want to answer those questions, but we all we kind of have talked about those in depth and wanted to get to some other things. And I talked to, to Todd here before we just started the podcast here, and I, I encouraged you to talk about the filmmaking and, and – you know, you do have the filmmaking background, but there were a lot of separate questions, and I thought it'd be good for the audience to hear more about from you because Todd is our editor. If you didn't know, he edits and directs and and uh, really has the vision for uh, for what you guys see on camera. So it's it's pretty cool. So uh, yeah, I, I pay attention to a few of those things. Yeah, I've yeah, seen every do. frame. That's really kind of nuts. But moving on, which kind of leads us to the first question. Here we go from Brian Alvarez, who's asking which films are in our top ten. And then I think pointed more at me, which non-car industrial designers do you admire? So I'm, okay. uh, I'm curious actually to hear your – did you have a full top 10 or do you just have a few – I think your, your list is well, obviously better than mine. I mean you, you really kind of know the genres that you like. I, I, have, I have like my top five that I talk about a lot. Um, but I'm going to go on a little rant for a minute and that is – when I when I think of my favorite films, I could talk about the the films that you really should see and appreciate. No, that's not the list. <laughs> there are those films, okay? But nobody ever sits down. I'll give you a great example. Citizen Kane, an amazing work of film. No one ever says, honey, let's watch Citizen Kane tonight. <laughs> that film is dense. It is deep. It is hard to watch, hard to watch content-wise. It's an amazingly well-done film. But when I think of favorite films, what I always restrict people to is what are films that if you found out right now somebody you knew hadn't seen it, you'd say, let's sit down and watch that right now. I'd like to watch that with you right this mm -hmm. minute. Mm -hmm. Those are your actual favorite films. Yeah. Those yeah. are the films that you just you want to share that experience with somebody that hasn't seen it. Those are the films that speak to me. And I also feel, I'm going to get all psychologist for a minute, I think if somebody has a top five films, I think your top five generally have the same theme. I'm going to get all screenwriter weird on you, but I generally think that most and – and I used to do this in L.A. and talk to people about it, and they would look at me like I was insane. And they list their top five films, and the screenwriter and me would go, oh, here's the common theme. 
And they look at me like I was insane because I do think I think not me. I think I cannot do that. I think subconsciously, I think subconsciously we resonate (laughs) with stories that have the same running themes and that's true of my top five. And uh, but I actually have got I listed nine here because I've got my top five and then I got my kind of others that are a little bit looser. Do you want to list some some as well before I keep rambling about film? <laughs> well, I've got two that I can think of off the bat, but generally the genres that I go for are anything that includes fire trucks, power tools, explosions, <laughs> guns of any kind, really cute girls, <laughs> and anything that's chrome. So um, that's kind a of chrome plated woman, genre. a chrome plated woman carrying a gun, <laughs> driving a car. Paul will never leave the theater with explosions that's really in the, the background. The that's, that's that's pretty much up. me yeah, exactly. Although, As she walks away from an explosion, yeah. Perfect. Although I do appreciate good dramas. I really do. Uh, I think my favorite movie of all time is The Game with Michael Douglas. Because film. it was not one that I could guess the ending. It kept me guessing. Oh, sure. And those yeah. are the kinds of yeah, things yeah. that I like where it's not so predictable. And I know, you know, screenwriters are paid to, we've got to wrap this up and put a nice little bow and end a certain way. Mm-hmm. I know the Hollywood mm-hmm. machine requires that. But it felt like this movie did not. And this came out in the late 90s, I think. Yeah. But just yeah. masterful. I just kept twisting and turning. It was Sean Penn and Michael Douglas. Really liked that film. And then, of course, my favorite car film is Ronan because of the chases. So <laughs> Ronan, really hands down for me is Ronan. I love that film. But yeah, those are I know. those are my top two. But then the rest of the – yeah, just fill-in movie that fits the genres of the things that I've named. And I'll sure. probably yeah. like it. You probably will. This is lots true. of explosions. Well, you know, lots. <laughs> and the thing about a movie list is, after you get past the first, like for me, the first five, I can start going nuts and like, oh, I like this one, and this <laughs> yeah, one's great, and this one's good for this reason. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on it. I will save you. <laughs> My top five that I that I always bring up are Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Lawrence Lawrence of Arabia, Forrest Gump, Unforgiven, and Braveheart. And I will go ahead and be my own uh, psychologist for a minute. The common thread in all of those is you have a hero who is is hell-bent on accomplishing a goal. And he's ac- going to accomplish that goal, and, and nothing is going to change him. And in the course of walking toward his goal, people find him to be a hero, and they rally around him, and they rally behind his goal, and he changes the world. That's the common thread in all of those five films. So um, wow. that... I, I didn't like again, and I didn't set out to look for that theme. But those are the films that are my top five. They all have that same theme. I could go nuts with this with others, but if I get a little bit less uh, cerebral and a little bit less serious about my film choices, I also love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. In in high school, yeah. I could quote the first twenty minutes of that all characters in proper inflection. I'm not proud of that, but it's true. That's how much I like that film. Princess Bride, Monty Python, Holy Grail. Uh, <laughs> those have got to be listed. Those just have to be listed. It's so funny when when I'm faced with suddenly naming movies, my mind goes blank. But I can think of Office Space. That's one of my favorites. I love That's Office a great Space. One. That's a great one. Office I can Space is awesome. Quote just about everything from that. Yeah. Yes. What would you say <laughs> you do here? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Love that film. We fixed the problem. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I've got a meeting with the Bobs. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So good films. We should try to move on. Am I a bad person for not having seen Lawrence of Arabia? I've never seen that film. Okay. Should we stop the podcast and I show it to you right? I mean, I will acknowledge that film is from a, I mean, it's from the 60s. Shot on 70 millimeter, 
at a time when there were no monitors, you had to be a great DP, and it's it's one of the best shot films of all time. I will also acknowledge it is four hours long. If it was made today, it would maybe be 90 minutes because it has these long, drawn-out scenes. But it is it is a level of filmmaking, and I, I don't mean this to sound weird, but it is a level of filmmaking that literally people don't do anymore. If you did Lawrence of Arabia now, you'd have four people in the desert, one digital camera, and everything else would be done digitally. And you probably wouldn't even be in the desert. You'd be like, you know, South L.A., standing on the beach, going, this is good enough. But Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> they were out there doing it. And it is unbelievable that the, the accomplishment of that film and how well it's done. And Spielberg has talked a lot of times about how things like Raiders and those kind of things, he would really study Lawrence of Arabia before making those films. Uh, massively influential. And I remember in 89, I was kind of into film. I was obviously, I think I was barely in high school. Uh, and my there was, a, there was a re-release of that movie. And my parents said, we're going to the theater and see it. And I was like, this movie's from when? Of course, I was a snotty teenager. From the 60s? <laughs> I don't want to see this movie. And they took me to the theater and I was jaw-dropped for huh. four hours. Huh. So there you go. It's a four-hour movie? Holy cow. It's, yeah, it's a movie It's a movie with an intermission. When you see it in the theater, what? you get to movie length, and you go out and get popcorn and pee, and you come back in 20 minutes. It's what? a four-hour film. It's an old 60s, you know, it had the the uh, overture up front when you're just looking at the curtain, and that's on the print. The print is playing black, and it's just, they're showing you the curtain because it's got an overture. I mean, this was a grand event at this time. And, uh, yeah, they don't make movies like this, no, nor will they. But oh quite, a film, quite a film. Quite a film. Wow. Okay, we're, gonna, we're stopping the podcast right now. We're going to watch Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> and guess. pause. We'll be back in four hours. And we're back. I guess. Okay, yeah. Four and a half because I guess we got to get popcorn and pee. So, all right. Apparently, yeah. Um, wow. Uh, what else? Oh, the second part of Brian's question here is the non-car industrial designers. And I will tie yeah. that in with some other questions, I think, later down here in the list that we've got. And uh, Brian, I uh, I love furniture design. I've spent time as a furniture designer, and so I will name you six because there's a lot of good designers out there. Hmm. Uh, first of all is the man that I used to work for, Richard Holbrook in California, in Los Angeles. He's done a lot of design. I, I work for him, and a lot of my designs are on the market because of him. So thank you, Richard. And uh, yeah, like the work that he does. The others are Joris Larman. Uh, I believe he's Dutch, I think. Uh, Ross Lovegrove, famous designer. Mark Newson, Patricia Yurkiola, she's also, um, she's Spanish, uh, and she's done a lot of architecture stuff. And uh, who else? Oh, Ron Arad, uh, he is uh, in the UK. Mm. So mostly furniture. I love furniture. I'm just endlessly intrigued. And uh, just with materials and the kinds of things you can do, very, very creative. And these designers that I've named are all inspiration to me, just you know, from the designs mm. they've done. So, look those guys up if you're curious. My my, my newest addition is the Joris Larman Lab. So Joris Larman, he's doing 3D printed metal chairs that are just sculpture. So wow. Anyway, really wow. really cool. Yeah, he's he's doing some amazing stuff. Um, hmm. Anyway, so we'll we'll tie that in. That kind of ties in with with Zen Mao Lu's question about working in non-car related industries. And that is, yes, I've done yeah, furniture yeah. design and, uh, and that just intrigues the daylights out of me. Um, but, uh, not currently doing that, but I, I have lots of ideas. I'd like to actually have a, 
really neat well, uh, garage space to build furniture. I'd love that. That would be awesome. You did quite a bit of product design, not just not just furniture. I mean, you worked for a while in furniture, and your like yeah. I say, your stuff is out there. But yep. uh, but yeah, I mean, you did other product design as well. I mean, you've had, you've done a broad range of design across lots of segments, and I yeah, I've always been very impressed. Though you quickly go into Swahili, and I have no idea what you're saying anymore. <laughs> but it is very impressive. I see the results, and I go, wow, that is very cool. But I you know half the terms to get there, I'm like I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> Over here, well, it'd be like me with filmmaking, and you bring up this filmmaking exactly. technique, and you know, yeah, I, that's that's fair. Like, that's what? the trade-off. You're absolutely what right. Are you You're absolutely about? right. So anyway, mm-hmm. but it's it's good. I mean, obviously, shows we've got a lot of diverse interests, but cars are, of course, the uh, the defining ones. So um, clearly, yes. What else? Uh, Cody is asking our biggest fear. What is our biggest fear? Is it irrational? And how did it develop? I think uh, I I have mine. no idea how it developed or if it's irrational, but I know what mine is. What's yours? Uh, it's not snakes, but it is... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Good Raiders reference. Bravo. Hey, Hold there on. you go. See, I was trying. You picked up. That's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. My biggest fear, Cody, is uh, heights without a barrier. So if I'm on the mm, top of a building, but I have a barrier in front of me, I'm fine. I could be outdoors, and if, even if it's waist high, fine. But if there's no barrier... And I'm side of a mountain, cliff, whatever. I am freaked out. Just freaked hmm. out. Interesting. Um, Interesting. It actually started because when I was working for Kawasaki, I had a pretty nasty accident riding an ATV. I was 25 at the time and going after right. it on, right. uh, on a trail and kind of carrying too much speed and tried to make a corner that I couldn't. And Yikes. the ATV went off the cliff with me on it, and I jumped up, and the ATV just kind of left me. It just kind of fell oh. out from between my legs, Yikes. and I watched it flip over a tree and down the ravine as I was clinging oh. to the side of the cliff. And uh, that's oh. why it's my biggest fear. If I'm that's protected, if that, I have a barrier. That, that story is all bad, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to dwell on that, but that just, yeah, it was it was a combination of inexperience, too much speed, and ATVs are inherently dangerous. I don't care what you tell me, they are inherently dangerous. <laughs> I, I'll have none of it, but, uh, Here yeah. comes the hate mail, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> exactly, okay. exactly. Hey, I've been there. I've Yeah, I'm one of the stories, but I'm here to tell it, so I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Well, I, my, my biggest fear runs very contrary to my lifestyle. And I would say, because I love to ski, I love to bike, I love to hike, I love to climb, uh, I like to drive fast. All of these are activities that don't necessarily suggest you're going to live a long and happy, healthy life. <laughs> and, yet my, and yet my biggest fear, honestly, for as long as I can remember, is being paralyzed. I just, mm, the mm. thought of it absolutely horrifies me. I cannot tell you how much it horrifies me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thankfully, I do climb. I'm not scared of heights. I've stood at the side of massive, you know, wind-blown cliffs and looked over and been like, this is awesome. <laughs> I know. So I don't, You're that guy. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Like, I know. I am. Um, so it is It is weird. It does run very contrary to my pastimes, but that definitely is mine. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I can I can see that. But uh, well done. Well, well cool. put. Cody also asked favorite and least favorite condiments. I'll do that quickly. Cannot stand relish. Do not understand the purpose of it. Uh, love barbecue sauce. Would put it on anything. I love relish. Oh man! Yeah, there you go. I didn't realize. Yeah, that. We, we we don't just disagree on cars, my friend. There's a, there's a there's a deep well of that. <laughs> there's a thread. <laughs> uh, Cody, my favorite condiment is sriracha sauce. I love the red pepper sauce. I love hmm. that stuff. Okay. So uh, yeah. Anyway. 
what else? Julian Yoon is asking. He lives in California, and he says home investment prices are too high here. We agree. <laughs> his fiancée fiance and him, fiancé and I, so his fiancé and him, not yes. his fiancé yes. and me. That'd be weird. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm his fiancé and him are looking to move out of state. By the way, congratulations on getting married. And he's asking, how is Utah? And uh, I'd say it's great. Short answer is, short answer is, it's great. And moving on. <laughs> it's great. I mean, if you need to travel, by the way, Salt Lake has three nonstops on Delta, one to Amsterdam, Paris, and Heathrow. So you can get around the world easily. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah different lifestyle, but uh, let's just say very little traffic, especially in Park City. So, yeah. This is great. true. This is true. Yeah. It's great. This is true. Uh, Andrew Wilson asked, worst movie of all time? Another one of our many, many, many movie questions. Thank you for those, by the way. I'm glad to have them. <laughs> I'm going to go totally off the reservation on this question, and I debated answering it honestly because the movie I'm going to talk about is so vile to me that I, I hate to almost give it enough promotion to, to talk about it. Okay. I hope no one goes to watch this movie as a result. I've seen a lot of terrible movies. There's a lot of poorly made movies. There's a lot of studio movies that are bad. However, when I worked at New Line for about a decade, I watched, no, no kidding, about 250 films over and over and over in the course of that. I worked on about 250 films in about 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, of all kinds, of all qualities. There were plenty that were bad. There were plenty that were poor movies. In 10 years... I got to a place where only one movie was a movie that after watching it a few times, I refused to watch it again. Hmm. Um, generally, I watched movies at least a dozen times for like a small indie release or 50 to 100 times for a big release. There was a movie made uh, by a filmmaker called Harmony Kareen, and he's a provocateur. That's his entire point. He makes very low-budget films that are intended to be provocative. That's their purpose. He's a massive indie director. He's done various things. He made a movie called Julian Donkey Boy, and it huh. offended me as a creative. It offended me personally. It offended me socially, spiritually, you name it. And I know I'm overstating, but I had watched it three times. Nobody else in the company had watched it. just kind of my – I got unlucky on the draw, I guess. I happened to be the guy that was kind of up next to watch a movie when we started re re watching prints of it. And uh, I ended up seeing it three times. In the course of a couple of days, and my boss told me, okay, we got three more prints to see. And I said to him, and I had, ne I had worked for him about eight years at this point. Hmm. I'd never, never pushed back. And I said to my boss, I said, Brent, honestly, I, I hate to say this, but I never want to watch that movie ever again. It offends me on every level. And he just looked at me, shocked. Huh. And we had a very honest, good relationship. And I said, look, if you tell me I need to go watch it and nobody else can watch it, I will go do it. That's my job. I get it. But I'm the only one here that's seen it, and I find it so offensive on every level, from filmmaker levels to personal levels, that I do never want to see it again. And he said, okay. And he found somebody else in the company that watched the last three prints, to the point that Paul and I have a mutual friend named Josh. And Josh said to me, Josh is a, a bit of a, a guy that is, uh, well, he, he pushes me. Let's put it that way. He's a great <laughs> friend, but he yeah, pushes me. Yeah. He heard it. I thought this movie was terrible. And he was like, it can't be that bad, Deacon. I'm going to come watch it with you. So he came and watched one of the prints with me. It was five reels long. That's how long the movie was, about 90 minutes. And he leaned over to me in the middle of reel two. I don't, may have never told you this, Paul. He looked, leaned over to me in the middle of reel two and he said, I'm sorry. This movie's awful. I'm really sorry. And he said, I'm going to go. And I said, you're not going to go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Are you you're going to sit here and finish it with me. I don't know because that I know this it's story. that awful. Oh, yeah. It, so wow. it's, it's horrific. It's, it's a terrible film. 
not just this is a poorly made movie. I just I I couldn't get away from it fast enough. So there you go. That's my worst movie story. Wow. Well, you've got more of a catalog to choose from. You've got a deeper bag than most people of films that you've seen. I mean, yes. the only Much one that scarring. I can think of. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't even think I've heard of that movie, but... Uh, you haven't. Wow. Most people haven't. Wow. Well, I looked up this movie. Every time I think of the worst movie ever, it's probably not, but I really hated this, and I walked out of this film... And I looked it up. Okay. It's the 90, 1996 film called Daylight with Sylvester Stallone. I love Stallone. He's done some <laughs> great stuff. He's done one of the films that I can't stand. It's called Daylight. I mean, the <laughs> room is spinning because of the suckitude. This film just sucks. The level of okay. suck, you can't Big even fan. see the next county. This film sucks so much. It's just, I hate this movie. I don't ever want to see it. It sucks. I hope Clearly, you're none a fan. of you listening that like this. But St- Stallone, love Stallone. Rocky, yeah, <laughs> Stallone, he's the man. I get it. But Daylight really sucks. Anyway. All right. There's a rock climber in that that gets killed. I remember that part of that movie. Yeah. Oh, really? I walked out. See, yeah, they, it sucks they had so a, much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had a big rock. In fact, I think it's Viggo Mortensen playing the rock climber. He had a rock climber, and he was going to save them all, and he climbs up, and then he gets killed. Uh, they they portrayed him well until they killed him off. But, it, but of course, you know, Stallone had to save them all. Really I just want to say that. suck one more time. There. <laughs> I did. Big fan. Okay. Ugh. All right. Uh, what else? I don't, I don't have an answer for this. I know this sounds ridiculous, but Neil Porter asks, what's our biggest disagreement and who's right? Well, I mean, of course, I'm going to claim I'm right, but I'm curious what you would even put as our biggest disagreement. Gosh, I like that you asked this question, but I can't think of anything really huge either. I mean, I think, uh, Neil, I think the biggest thing is when we do have disagreements, we're able to work through it pretty logically mm-hmm. and we're able to see each other's viewpoints and go, huh, oh, well, yeah, that's a good viewpoint too. I didn't really see that. And, I mean, we, we disagree on all kinds of things, from the littlest things yeah. to shop yeah, yeah. choice to all kinds of stuff. But I, I think it I think it balances both of us really well, and it keeps Agreed. us learning. Agreed. Not just about we, each other, but learning about another viewpoint that, oh, I, I didn't consider that. Yeah, you're right. You know, that and, kind of and thing. And Neil – Neil, honestly, we go at it. We go round and round on yeah. topics. Stuff comes up, and it's just like one of us will pull the other one aside and be like, all right, man, this is on my mind, and it's bugging the hell out of me. It happens, and we will talk stuff through. And sometimes it's not fun. I will <laughs> fully acknowledge. But we've been friends for a couple of decades now. I mean, we're practically brothers, and so yeah. as brothers, you know, you have those fights. Yep. And so yep. we certainly have that. And And I will also say it's not like we walk away going – I see your point now, and I think you're right. No, there's stuff that we're like, I'm sorry, I'm not with you. I'm still not with you. I respect you. I appreciate your point right, of view, right. and I respect that you and I don't agree, but I'm not moving. Right. We definitely have that stuff. Right, right. I can't put my finger on any one particular subject, though. That's a – yeah, I just – I can't really think Well, of maybe that Daylight is the worst movie ever, but that's okay. Daylight <laughs> sucks. Have I mentioned not, how I, I got sucky it. I, I was clear. Is. I was very it's, clear. The suckiest of so, suckitude. Lu- Lucas asked a bunch of a bunch of rapid fire questions. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to run through them first, and then I want you to run through them as well. Okay. He said, "Red or red or blue? Ironically, I prefer blue. Uh, wine or beer? I would say neither. I don't drink. I don't have a problem with it. I just don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but if I had to pick, I would pick wine. Honestly, I would have a, I would have a glass of wine before I would have a glass of beer. Yeah. Uh, jogging or cycling? Um, I I love to trail run. Love it." 
but I just bought a cool uh, all-suspension bike, and so I'm a little bit obsessed with cycling right now. iPhone or Samsung, uh, I got sucked into iPhone. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? Dunkin' Donuts, hello. Uh, and finally, <laughs> curvy or flat? You're saying you're talking about power curve of an engine, but it could be other things. I'm going to say, in general, for power curves of an engine, uh, curvy is better, and I'd like it to, to rise. For uh, women, let's just go there. I would prefer curvy, <laughs> unless you're talking Kira Knightley, and then flat is great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was awesome. That was awesome to listen to. All right, here we go. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Go. <laughs> Lucas, uh, blue. Love blue. Favorite color is blue. I bought, bought a blue Cayman. As you know, I love red wine, especially the deep, dark red Cabernets. Uh, although whiskey is a very close second, usually when we're podcasting. Well, not usually, yes, but every so guy. often I like the whiskey. Uh, jogging or cycling, have to be cycling. Uh, jogging ruins a perfectly good walk. Uh, iPhone, <laughs> definitely definitely an iPhone. I actually have two, one for work, one for, you know, one's the bad phone, one's the work phone, electronic shock collar. Yeah. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks? I say Pete's. I am a huge coffee fan. I love Pete's coffee. Oh, okay. And uh, the Illy, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, the coffee shop in the Palazzo in Las Vegas. And Curvy or Flat, definitely Curvy. Love Curvy. I'm all about Curvy. Yeah. <laughs> and, curvy and covered in chrome. Got and it. Yep, got it. Okay. Slathered, dripping in chrome. Daylight sucks. <laughs> Have I mentioned that? <laughs> <laughs> we we covered that as well. Uh, Jason Connor, good friend of the show. In fact, he works over with our friends at Hooniverse and uh, has has done some nice write-ups on pilgrimage and some other stuff for us. So hello, Jason. Good to hear from you, man. Uh, cool that he wrote in. He said, a few of the asked filmmaking discussions, he actually asked about our filming equipment, most specifically what gear do we enjoy using or are currently using and what are our favorite shots to get. Uh, we are mostly a Canon show, uh, Canon DSLRs, though we have branched out a bit and we'll continue to do so. I just really like Canon glass. I'm a big <laughs> fan of that. Yeah. Um, we use sliders. We use, I mean, all the normal tricks. However, I have to say we have figured out a way to shoot car-to-car footage with a jib so we can float the camera. And I'm just proud of that. They're not, yeah. they're not easy shots to get, but I'm just proud that we do it. We can do it consistently and efficiently and safely, and nobody else really does that. I just love the fact that we can. I will say, Jason, by the way, thank you for writing. Great to hear you. Um, Jason is actually a huge fan of the show, as we are of Hooniverse. And Jason, I follow him on Facebook and all of his exploits and actually quite jealous about the cars that he gets into. So, uh, yeah, they get some great stuff. He and I talked when Todd had suggested the Honda S2000. We had some secret talks about he was thinking, hey, I'll help you find one down in San Diego and maybe that'll work. And it didn't work out because I stubbed my toe and tripped into the pool of Porsche again. <laughs> yes, you did. But uh, uh -huh. I will say that the thing Todd has taught me is you will not see any, well, very rarely, very rare exceptions to the rule are handheld shots because mm. they just look so amateurish. Now, Steven Soderbergh, that whole thing, I get it. But Todd has really taught me and us and all of our shooters the value of having a camera that's locked to the earth that is, and that's what really raises our production value. To do that, it takes a lot of work. So we're using yeah. either Black Magic. We've been uh, doing a Black Magic, as you said, with Canon glass in the front. Certainly GoPros as much as we can, but primarily Canon GoPros. So, uh, and yeah. I and I love camera movement. I love it, but I yeah. want it to be camera movement that is grounded. 
Yep. Um, which is different than a handheld feel. Uh, and handheld has its place. It's just not a, doesn't have a place in our show. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got to go faster here. Holy, have you scrolled? It's, just, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not going to happen. Oh but gosh. we're going to, we're going to do our best. This is probably right. over an hour podcast. Let's Jeez. just settle in. There All right. Go. All right. Here we go. Uh, Steven, Steven Nelson is asking, how do you guys balance work, family, and producing a high quality videos and podcasts? And my first thought to that question, I read it and I went, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. My, my first thought were not very well and with very little sleep. Those are my first two thoughts. However, uh, Stephen, I, I, I would say personally, this is an ongoing struggle with me personally. Uh, you know, I'm married. I have a son. Uh, I have a job. I, I don't. I actually like to get outside and be athletic, which is not conducive to the editing environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had to start to be, and, I, and it's been more and more and more so. And Paul can attest to this because I keep kind of changing this reality more and more. I have to be very compartmentalized. I have to really. This is the time I'm at work, and then I come home, and I'm a father and a husband until my son goes to bed, and then it's time to work on Everyday Driver. And, you know, I, I, the weekends, I try really hard to wipe them clean of Everyday Driver. And that's hard because I get so conditioned to just checking everything about the show and responding to you guys. It's hard for me from Friday night to Monday morning. I do everything I can to not even check in. And yeah, I take yeah. my wife on a date and I hang out with my friend Paul as my friend Paul, not as co-host Paul. Spend time with my son, get outside, do stuff. The weekends, I try to really just... Nothing else exists but those things in the world on the weekends. And sometimes I fail. Somewhere in there, I try to actually write. I, I've written screenplays forever. Uh, I'm still working on a novel that I really want to get finished this year, so that tries to get in there somewhere. Um, and I, I truly don't sleep much. I mean, that is the truth of it. My wife sleeps almost twice as much as I do. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and that's the reality. Yeah, and I am uh, very defensive of you many times. Todd will, I mean, he's just got such a high work ethic and quality standard. He'll be asking me, I just, I've got to do this, this, and this, and I've just got to get the film out this week. And I'll say, buddy, you know, we have nobody to answer to but ourselves. And the, the fans, everybody will understand if we wait a week because I am defensive of your time. If you're pushing yeah. yourself too hard, and it's happened on the films a lot. And mm-hmm. I hope we have better balance uh, with the with the actual the feature length films. If you haven't seen those guys, by the way, Todd has worked his tail off because <laughs> it's like fishing. Once you catch the fish, then the work begins because you got to gut it yeah. and Fair vacuum point. pack it Fair and point. all that stuff. It's once we actually get all the footage in the can, that's when the work begins from yeah. mixing and color editing and sound and all the decisions, the little decision making that, that goes into the films. That's where I see your time getting sucked. And you love doing it. Yeah. I know yeah, you yeah. Do, I do. But I'm very defensive of your time in that sense. Um, yeah. But for me, I, I have a pretty demanding job. Um, I am currently not married, but uh, – yeah, you know, hopefully uh, family will enter my life at some point. I don't know how that will happen, but uh, uh, my job is fairly demanding just in terms of working for Autodesk and um, just the amount of you know research. Everybody kind of expects you to be the smartest guy in the room or the most knowledgeable about mm. a particular mm. subject when you walk in. And, uh, yeah. and so it, it's, it's a lot of pre-work. And the, the best preparation that I found is over-preparation. Nobody asks me to do the amount of prep work that I do when I go see clients and customers. And by the way, it's all automotive industry. And uh, many times they have said, I've seen you on YouTube. I said, yes, you have. I've driven your Tesla. I've driven your car. I've driven the Corvette. You know, And uh, funny, a few Detroit guys have been the guy that 
on Everyday Driver works for Autodesk, you know, so it's sort of yeah. backwards. But uh, anyway, so it's it's a balance. I mean, sometimes sometimes we don't and we fail, but ultimately the show is a huge creative outlet for us, and mm-hmm, we want to mm-hmm. we want to take it we want to do this the rest of our lives and build it into something huge. And it's only by your watching and listening. That's why we keep saying subscribe so much and keep hitting the buttons and tell your friends and come on the trips with us and all this stuff because we're serious about it. And we know you guys Mm -hmm. love it. So we're doing it for the fans, but it's a creative outlet. You know, we get to blab on camera and talk about our opinions and have disagreements and just, you know, it's life experience. It's life. So that's why we're doing it. But Sometimes the balance is imbalanced, to be honest, and um, <laughs> you have to get outside. So I don't know. I just kind of went off there. Sorry. I just kind of went off. It's all good. But uh, uh, Hey, that's what we're doing tonight. We are all over the map. It, we really, really are. Geez, I, my brain's all over the map right now. This is crazy because I'm yep. reading ahead. I'm trying yep. to prepare my, my thoughts and, you know, anyway. So, all right. Keep going here. What else we got here? Can we jump to Can we jump to seven? Number seven. Christopher Gatsky uh, yes. wrote in. Uh, Do you find <laughs> steak sauce blasphemous or necessary? I love this. Some of these questions are so fantastic. <laughs> steak sauce blasphemous or necessary? And along those same lines, would you prefer ribeye or fillet? I think fillet is overrated. I'm just going to put that out there. I prefer New York steak or porterhouse. Uh, and steak sauce is totally unnecessary as well. Uh, I would say a I, like Ruth's Chris is fantastic. I would say a steak really well cooked in butter is the way to go. If you must put something on your steak, I would say to you blue cheese. Yeah. By the way, everybody, for those of you listening, Todd and his wife are steak experts. We should be sponsored by Ruth's Chris. If anybody who works at Ruth's Chris <laughs> is listening, we should be talking about steak as we're driving cars. How fun would that be? Uh, actually, I I uh, am more of a fish guy. I like steak, but really, you are. That's every true. so often, I like a really beautiful piece of king salmon or a nice piece of halibut. Those are my two favorites. So, therefore, steak sauce is absolutely blasphemous and unnecessary. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I have to call you out. Uh, Carrie Turner asks he said i've heard todd says he doesn't wear a watch i love how he i love how he wrote this but some guys car, car guys have that proclivity thank you for that reference nice. so he's asking paul what's on your wrist and i'm going to say to you paul the the real question carrie should have asked is which wrist because you've been known to wear a watch on both you balance me out in the universe by sometimes wearing two watches i do i i love watches i'm you could call me a watch super freak along with cars i just yes, i love you are. You are. Watches. Um, funny enough, both Todd and I know a guy named Brad who's a programmer, and he's he's coder guy. And he told us a story recently that he bought a cheap fossil watch that's a skeleton. A skeleton watch mm. is one that you can see through, so you can turn it over on the back. You can see, yeah, yeah. see all the mechanical movements. And he also has an Apple Watch. And he said, the Apple Watch disinterests me because I know how that thing works. The, sure. the, fossil, the skeleton watch, he said, I can't stop staring at it. How do you make time from the gears? How does yeah. that work? Anyway, so he, I thought he's it was so fascinating. He's fascinated by the analog nature of it yeah. and the fact that it works and the programming interests him not at all. I thought that was a fascinating story. Too. I was totally hilarious. Hilarious. A programmer's interested in the analog. Anyway, so currently on my wrist, Isabel and Ross Blackbird Flyback Chronograph, which I really love. I've actually kind of turned into a Bell and Ross guy inadvertently. I have two. I love Bell and Ross. Sometimes I wear them together just because I think they're really cool and they're sort of the aviation theme. And I just love the Bell and Ross. But I'm thinking about an Omega. I love the Omega watches too. 
Gosh, there's so many. IWC, I love Panerai. I am <laughs> Stallone, by the way, is a huge Panerai guy, and he got uh, Jason it's, Statham wearing Panerais. So you'll see that. I wonder if he uh, if he if he wore that in daylight. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we're gonna keep beating that to death for daylight no reason. Sucks. Uh, <laughs> All right. I did. I heard. I was here for the top of the podcast. Uh, yeah. See, everything you just said in the last like four paragraphs is Swahili to me. So bravo. <laughs> hey, we all have see, our proclivities, right? You know. Hey. I, I, exactly. I've said this to you before. Here's my problem. I sit at computers, which have a clock in the corner. I have an iPhone, which has a clock on it at all times. I know what time it is. I will spend my money <laughs> elsewhere. I'm just saying. That's my thing. So funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. So, Lord Tobias is asking, Star Wars or Star Trek? <laughs> and I say, Battle Trek Galactica Wars. What? You, you don't care. You are, space? you are sci-fi epic what? immune. I am, I am. And my, and my poor son, sci-fi. my poor son who is obsessed with Star Wars, <laughs> but he keeps asking you Star Wars related questions because he assumes everyone knows this canon and you're like, I, I don't get it. And he, he just looks at don't. you like, Dada, why does Uncle Paul not understand Star Wars? Well, because he doesn't care. I would say Star Wars <laughs> over Star Trek. I, I, I have liked a lot of stuff from Star Trek over the years, but Star Wars just wins. Um, yeah, definitely. G.I. Joe for me. I grew up playing G.I. Joe. I love the suspension on the dune buggies and the way the wheel articulates. and the... Anyway. Of course it did. Of course you did. Yes, right. perfect. Uh, what else should we jump to here? Uh, let's see. Uh, second part on letter M here. We've kind of divvied up all these questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Person you would most like to meet, living or dead. And okay. uh, Steve, this is a question from Steve Allen. I would love to meet Paul Newman. He is one of my heroes. Hmm. The more I find out about this guy, driving, racing, and acting aside, how about the Newman's Own Foundation? That foundation yeah, bathes in money. And they are just, I mean, the guy is successful in everything he does. And yeah, I'm just, I mean, Good looking, on and on and on. Paul Newman, he is the man, was the man. Huh. But uh, okay. Paul right. Newman is mine. I just, I'm so impressed by this guy. Just, yeah, Paul Newman, he's my guy. Hmm. Okay. All right. How about you? All right. I'm going to, well, I'm going to go, no matter what you believe as an audience member, I know religion and politics are, are, are uh, comments that are not okay. But I'm going to say follow me here intellectually, not religiously for a second. I'm going to say Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say that just separate out religion, separate out whatever you believe. Here is a person that historically everybody kind of agrees existed. Okay? What he did, what he didn't, put that aside. Everybody kind of agrees he existed. For more than 2,000 years, he has massively influenced the movements of the world, pro and con. True. People have done great things and atrocious things in his name. So, okay. Somebody from 2,000 years ago made that kind of influence? Who was this person? I don't care who we think he was. I'd like to sit down with him and go, who the heck are you? Hmm. That's why it's interesting to me. Because I just, the, the intellectual side of that, I'm fascinated to go, okay, there, there's so much discussion about who and why and what, and we've stacked, I mean, so much religion is stacked on top of it, you can't even see your way through it. Who was he really? Yep. If I could sit down and have a conversation with Christ at that time, my gosh, who who was Jesus? Who was this person? I I think that'd be fascinating. Good, yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Wow, wow, just yeah, the thoughts and discussion that could generate. Just thinking about it. Yeah, and I, just as a person, I want to sit down with that guy in mm-hmm. history. 
and I, I apparently I'd have to wear sandals. I've almost got the hair for it. Apparently I'd have to wear sandals <laughs> and a robe. What what was the what was the, the sure. two thousand years ago Jerusalem equivalent of Starbucks? Let's go get a is that a coffee? What is that? I don't know. Let's go get that. I'm not sure. And and have a conversation. I think that'd be fascinating. I that really would do. Be. Very cool. Wow. All right. All right. What else? Uh, let's see here. What else we got on the list? What else intrigues we've got, you? We've, we've got a couple of, well, we've got so many. We've got so many. Gosh. Uh, Dan Sterling said, all cars are revoked. There's no car culture anymore. We only travel in pods. What do you do with your lives? I'm, I'm a storyteller. I'm going to keep writing novels. I'm going to keep doing that kind of stuff. I would be filming something else, I'm sure, because I can't stop myself. It's a disease, and I must feed the beast. Hmm. I'd say uh, people still need to sit down. Furniture is still going to be necessary, <laughs> right? I, yeah, if you can figure out a way to make a, to, to design furniture and watches, we'd never hear from Paul again, and you'd be deliriously happy. I'd be deliriously happy. No, product design. I really love product design. I've done a lot of it uh, from electronics, fitness equipment, and footwear, and um, I actually design watches as well. But, uh, yeah, um, currently I will say, Dan, that VR is intriguing the daylights out of me. Mm-hmm. By the way, daylight, the movie sucked. Anyway, um, <laughs> so anything vr i am super on board and as a matter of fact with autodesk currently we are showing multi-immersive vr using the htc vive so if you have not gotten into vr yet i am sold i am amazed by this now it's got to come with a balance in your life you can't just you know go home from work friday night and you know the next time you take it off is wow it's sunday Night. What a, where did the weekend go? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And by the way, Oculus Face is now in the dictionary. It is a thing. Hey, Oculus Face. Yeah. Oculus you, Face. You, you've been immersed too long when somebody calls you Oculus oh, no. Face. So uh, anything with VR, and I, I, it's it's going that direction. It's good now, and it's going to be great later. Um, we've actually had a discussion from filmmaking point of view because mm-hmm. we have from filmmakers perspective, the entire reason directors exist is because as you said, they are putting the camera where they want you to watch. They are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they want you to see this part of the story and that's why the camera is Absolutely. in these people's faces at this time. But with VR, you could look around the movie set. You could look up, you could yeah, look behind agreed. you. Agreed. You could kind of ignore what they're saying and walk over here Mm-hmm. I think there will be that component of it, but uh, but yeah, I'll be really curious to filmmaking, see what happens. Anything look, with VR. Filmmaking by, its, filmmaking by its nature is a manipulative media. It is. The way you choose your music, the edits that you choose, the shots that you choose, the way the camera moves in that shot, you're manipulating the audience to feel what you want them to feel. Obviously, some filmmakers do that better than others. VR wipes that slate clean. What do you want to look at? Why mm-hmm. do you want to look at it? Right. You want to look at your feet? You want to look at the stars? You want to look at the person? It, it will totally require different filmmaking. And I would suggest that filmmaking will be a separate thing than VR. Because I think VR will have plenty of immersive things, but I think it will be very hard to tell a good story in it because you're building more of an environment for somebody to move around in than you are. Let me sit down and tell me a story in the tradition. I'm going to go geeky all the way back to the sitting around a campfire thing. Hmm. That, is an, that is not VR. That is let me tell you exactly what I want to tell you, which is the exact same thing that happens in, in storytelling versus I'm going to stay with cavemen for a minute out exploring the, the, the plains – 
is sure. not storytelling. That's that's VR. That's where we're headed. So creating new immersive environments you can't experience another way. I see that. I think the people that are trying to cram story into VR, that seems hard to me because story requires look at this now. Right, right. Or or listen to this now. So it's, I'm kind of fascinated by that. We'll see where it goes. My dad calls Can I go uh, on a campfire caveman tv you know because everybody just sort of stares deep into it the was, fire and you just, and just stare at the fire Absolutely gets philosophical that's, and yeah so that's what it was caveman shall TV. i stay with the filmmaking bent and and answer this new line cinema question i definitely think you should yeah yeah okay uh so yeah i worked at new line cinema for as i said before about a decade uh late 90s to uh late 2000s did work on about 250 films uh you will not find my name in the credits in general because my boss, Brent Caviar, was vice president of post-production, so he would get the credit line. I would not. I was director of post-production. So you will not see my name. You will see his. If you want to dig in New Line Cinema credits, dig in Lord of the Rings. You'll see him right there, Brent Caviar. Uh, know that I watched it as much or more than he did. So uh, actually probably not more because Brent worked his butt off on that. Yeah. But yes, I was involved in all of the Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, every single one of them saw them more times literally than I can count. Um, interesting stories from that. I have two. I will t try to tell them quickly. I met a guy named Duncan who was the tech geek for Peter Jackson down in, uh, in New Zealand. He came to LA for a little, little bit of time. I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Paul, mm. either of these stories. Uh, he came to LA for a time and I was just kind of took him around and we were, cause what we were doing, this was really early on in digital delivery. And the the last movie, Return of the King, was delivered almost entirely digitally. They would connect to the fat pipe in New Zealand and send the data, and it would go to a film printer on the L.A. side. So instead of shipping the negatives, they printed them by data coming down the fat pipe. And there was only one place in L.A. that could do it at the time. And so he was coming to both sides of that, essentially, pipe to make sure that everything was set up right. Duncan had been the tech geek guy for Peter Jackson from the beginning. And early on in the editing of the first film. I don't know if anybody's ever told this story uh, publicly. Huh. Um, he was traveling across two different places. From, he was actually in London while they were scoring. And he had a part of the film nobody had seen yet. It was a rough cut. And at the time, one of the smallest, easily transportable drives to have multiple gigabytes was the first-gen iPod. So they had downloaded. They turned oh it into a drive. Gosh. They downloaded the film to a first-gen iPod. And he's walking at a weird hour of the, of the night, I think it was, through a kind of questionable neighborhood in London, going from one part of where they were working on production to another. And three guys started following him. And they started getting closer. And he realized, I'm about to get mugged. And he realized he didn't care about his wallet. He didn't care about anything of his personal stuff. He had the first Lord of the Rings movie in data in his pocket on an iPod. No So he way. was instantly, absolutely, he was instantly terrified. And the faster he went, the more these guys closed in. So eventually he said, I am not a runner. He was a young guy. He said, I am not a runner. He said, I sprinted for like five blocks. <laughs> he tore as fast as he could. He, he like dodged cars, ran lights. He just, and he was hell bent, not because he didn't want to get mugged, but because he had the film in his pocket. Oh my god. So gosh. there was that story. That I loved. Oh and I asked gosh. him what he was going to do after Lord of the Rings, and he said, I'm going to throw away my phone. Because he literally had gotten to the case where stuff was always going on. He, was, he fell asleep with his phone in his hand, and he was like, I'm just going to go away for a while. So I don't think Duncan worked uh, on anything after Lord of the Rings films, but I applauded him for working on those. So there's that story. That's a Second movie story, right there. To, Man. Yeah, nuts. I went to Paris for uh, – there, there were 13 premieres for Return of the King. It, it literally traveled the world doing film premieres. Uh, and so various ones of us in post-production went to different uh, countries to work those premieres and do the technical setup. I was chosen to do London and Paris, which was fantastic. I loved it. 
when we were in Paris in, uh, this is December of 03, if I'm not mistaken. Gosh, that's a long time ago. Anyway, we were in Paris while the local Paris equivalent of SAG, which is the Actors Union, was uh, picketing films uh, for better treatment as uh, French actors. They were picketing films. I, I will acknowledge, I don't know the story exactly what they were picketing on, but that's what we understood. So they were picketing all kinds of places. We had multiple events scheduled in Paris. One of them was in this incredible library, kind of a national library there in Paris that looks like something out of a Matrix set. I mean, it has those long hallways that hang in space above nothing. I mean, it's a crazy glass building, half of it's underground. Wow. We had a big cast uh, kind of meet and greet with local you know, dignitaries and that kind of thing in one corner of this library. So we're underground in an all-glass building, okay? Or all like side of it, underground. And think of the main lineup of Return of the King. They're all there. Uh, you know, Vigo's there, and, you know, all the hobbits are there, and the guy that played King Theoden is there, Bernard, uh, and a bunch of New Line people. And when we're not actually screening the film, I'm just the, I'm kind of like the extra bouncer. I don't really have a job. Everybody with me is marketing folks or people that are hospitality folks for New Line. So they're taking care of the actors, and I'm kind of standing there. I look kind of imposing and I kind of stand around and I'm kind of like the extra bouncer, though we have hired security. Right, right. So have I told you, have I told you this story, Paul? Uh, it's sound, part of it's sounding familiar, but the other details yeah. I had not heard. That's crazy. So, so we're at this private reception and it's about to kind of really start. And around the corner at the far end of this library, and if you've ever been to Paris or you're from there, you probably know what, exactly what I'm talking about. Around the corner come the picket signs. Okay. The local actor group has discovered that not only is Lord of the Rings in town, but where we're going to be. And we're cornered in the corner of this building. Around the corner come the picket signs, and they start sweeping through the library. Now, there's pl plenty of public people there. Car start sweeping through the library, just kind of clearing the place, headed toward us. All of a sudden, the security of our whole group got very aggressive and pushed everybody in our group that was not part of the security detail into a fire exit, which was a three-story kind of concrete stairwell to the surface. What? So we get pushed into a fire exit. I'm not oh kidding. Gosh. We get pushed into a fire exit because they were worried about a riot. Because here come, I mean, I, how much riot was this going to be? I mean, this is my logical brain going. I'm going Everybody really, throw your first generation going? iPods at them. Oh, wait. No, exactly. don't do that. <laughs> well done. But but I kept thinking, really, how bad's this going to go? But they got everybody very alarmed, and they pushed us into a stairwell, and they locked the doors behind us. And we're standing in a stairwell. There's like 50 of us. From the marketing folks all the way down to me, I was one of the last ones pushed in. And we've got all these actors, all these marketing people. And there are, I'm not kidding you, there are people with New Line in the marketing department and other departments weeping in terror. And I'm sitting here going, <laughs> folks, really, pull it together. You've been in L.A. a little bit too long. This is not a yeah, terrorist seriously. incident here, okay? We're going to be fine. It's actors with picket signs. So we've got <laughs> people in the group that you. are literally weeping. Exactly. People in the group that are literally weeping. And then actors... Start saying, well, if they're actors, we should go back down, open the doors, and talk to them. Well, think about the security reality of that. Even if it's not a real problem, <laughs> just the control of that is insane. And so yeah. the woman, her name was Tracy Laurie, and sadly since then she has passed away. But Tracy Laurie took charge of the situation and just said, we are absolutely not going back out there. And she coordinated getting all of the cars, because we were all in Audi uh, A8s, as our, you know, there's an inconspicuous line of cars. Yeah, anyway, sheesh. she corralled all of them, and they came the back way through the library, and they slowly got everybody out. And it started pouring rain, so Tracy Laurie keeps coming back in drenched. And we slowly got everybody out of there and got them back to the hotel, I guess, while the actors were still downstairs. And I'm sitting there marveling. I stood by Tracy for the longest time and just said, whatever you need me to do, I'll do, because I didn't have another job. So I just kind of played bouncer. 
while people around her are crumbling as if this is some terrorist <laughs> oh incident. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! It was it was one of the craziest experiences of my life. Uh, but that was just Lord of the Rings in the middle of this world. And as a final note, Peter Jackson, at the end of the night, we were having our big dinner and doing our debrief on what had happened. And she said, well, so we were told that these picketers are picketing specifically their treatment on big Hollywood movies. And here we are, a big Hollywood movie in town. So we were a good target. And Peter Jackson, in a sentence, as soon as she got that sentence out of her mouth, he said, this isn't a Hollywood movie. It's a New Zealand movie. And Tracy just kind of took that and went, be that as it may. And we went on. So anyway, there's my two Lord of the Rings stories. <laughs> Unbelievable. No, I'd heard part of it, I remembering, But man, yeah, what are they going to do? Like throw their wood stakes at you and, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, where was this going to go? But it was, it was definitely <sighs> treated as a high security incident. So I still kind of laugh about that. But there it is. Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Very cool. Um Let's see here. Looking down the list, Michael Winter is asking us. This is funny. This has actually cropped up uh, recently with another uh, group of our friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. He asks, when you were half your current age, what did you think you would be doing now? So, mm -hmm. you know, what did, what would the younger you tell your older self? So he, he said, I'd be interested to meet my younger self, but would you tell yourself to do anything differently? Uh, Michael, I knew it was going to be something with cars. I went to design school, art and design yeah, school, and yeah. have a degree in transportation design. My background is industrial design, specifically trans. I love cars. I, yeah, worked for a number of different uh, uh, product design firms, worked for Ford, Kawasaki, and I knew it was going to be something involving cars. And I also thought that I would be owning my own business. And if mm, you think about mm. that, both are true because you and I are the owners yeah, of Everyday fair. Driver. That's fair. Founders, yep. owners, everything. And uh, it's definitely with cars. I just didn't think driving them would be the creative outlet. I always thought it would be the art mm -hmm. and design part would be my creative outlet for sure, you know, for that. Sure. Um, I thought maybe a manager at a you know a design manager at a car company or something. But I've also thought if I were working for a car company, I could not do what you and I do. I could not be an automotive no. journalist. If no, I worked for Honda or Ford, I couldn't do what we do. So there would be massive conflict of interest. Yeah, it absolutely. Would be. Yeah. And uh, there was somebody else in an earlier question had asked, uh, "What did they ask?" I uh, lost my train of thought here. Just about um, you know working for Autodesk, which I do. Um, but uh, it's all with the automotive industry. And so I'm in car studios. I've been in a lot of them, uh, primarily with yeah. the ones in Southern California. I've got a lot of friends, colleagues. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to call out Kareem Habib. He is the director of design for BMW, did the new M2, and mm. uh, just, yeah, fantastic work <laughs> that he does there. Try, trying to get your M2 a little faster there, are you? Anyway, we got, yeah. Kareem, buddy, old pal, <laughs> longtime friend. Send an M2. No, uh Anyway, so, um, Michael, to answer your question, no, I don't think so. The biggest thing is in high school, your career counselor always tells you, what one thing do you want to be? It's always the thing, the one thing. And sure, Todd and I have sure. talked to men who change careers every eight years. They're businessmen, yeah. they're oceanographers, they're you know, filmmakers, designers, car journalists. They're, they do a lot of different things. They keep and, moving, yeah. yeah. You know, here you and I are, you know, Everyday Driver being the creative outlet, you know, getting to share and getting to know our fans better like this and expand that into a, a long-term thing that you and I want to do. 
but we've also yeah. got other you know diverse interests and i would say cultivate those two don't just you know if, if photography interests mm -hmm. you and by the way you're a screenwriter and well maybe you can combine them but maybe not but don't you know don't leave one thing behind for for another i mean nurture those hobbies they can yeah. make you money yeah. too and so yeah, that's fair be open fair. to those changes and you know don't just sort of pigeon yourself pigeonhole yourself into well i'm gonna be you know work my way up to middle management i can't wait for that you know like <laughs> yay yay i'm yeah, management you. retired you. <laughs> you know yeah um but uh that's what i would say is you know definitely work as hard but um it's got to be balanced with uh with the getting outdoors being in nature and uh you know it's the social aspect too so that's that's part of it interesting well i uh i actually thought i would be writing and directing for a living Mm. Uh, that has not. Well, I, I kind of do. You obviously, with the do. show and other things, I kind of do. do. But I thought I'd be in Hollywood doing that, knowing the current state of Hollywood, having friends that are embedded pretty deeply. I'm actually kind of glad I'm not in that situation. Though at half my current age, I would have called that blasphemy. But I, I genuinely feel uh, more better off and more blessed not being in that situation. Though the money would be nice, but the uh, but the filmmaking career that I wanted really doesn't exist anymore. I know that sounds odd, but they kind of filmmaker driven. Uh, what you know? What are your passion projects? There's two or three guys that get to do those kind of things, and everybody else does kind of the same kind of movies. So uh, you know, it's a very hard world. Screenwriting is even harder than that because your your you know screenwriters are not really appreciated in that world. They're much more appreciated in television. Mm -hmm. um, so, but the thing I would really encourage my younger self is to walk in confidence of the things I know and I don't know. I was very bad at that in my twenties. Uh, and actually, I would say I was very bad of that until sometime in my 30s, and I started to get over it. I mean, most of my life, I didn't walk in the proper confidence that I had in the things that I knew, and not and yet acknowledge the things you don't. Just be very cut and dry about that reality, and ask for forgiveness, not permission. I, you know, Hollywood is a world where everyone wants to tell you no, uh, so you know you have to at some point just go. I don't really care if you're telling me no. I'm going to do it anyway until mm -hmm. there is some actual reason to stop versus somebody saying you shouldn't do that. Uh, you know, and that, let's be honest, that's the impetus for this show. You and I just decided to go do it. We didn't ask for anybody's permission because people would have said, well, that's not going to work. And yep. here we are. So, yep. yeah. And especially given the time, you know, in the decade that we did, you know, during an economic, huge economic downturn, and we did it anyway. Yeah, true. And it, true. it feels Absolutely pretty true. good yeah. to be able to do that and point back to that moment and say, well, we, we pushed through. I mean, YouTube mm -hmm. was a few years old at that point, it hadn't really caught on. You know, digital SLRs were just becoming a thing, and otherwise, camera mm -hmm. equipment mm -hmm. was not accessible to people. GoPro didn't exist as a company. <laughs> yeah, fair it's point. It's hard fair to point. think about. And YouTube but barely did. Yeah, it's nuts. It, man. it really is nuts. Um, anyway, so uh, we're home stretch good. here, buddy. We're an hour. I'm, my guess is I'm calling it at an hour and fifteen minutes. I'm guessing that's how long we're going here. Right. We're home stretch here, though. We are in the back stretch. I just I had to answer Jason Cornell's question here because he asked. <laughs> What do you think of man buns? And I hope, Jason, that you don't have one. But to quote our friend Robin Jennings, he's an ex-pro baseball player, friend of ours and friend of the show. Look him up. He's played for the Rockies and the Cubs. But to quote him, if I had the hair to do it, I'd grow it down to my ass. I wouldn't have a man bun, but I'd grow my hair out. So uh, <laughs> I, I kind of wish I did, but it wouldn't be a man bun. I, I don't think too highly of them. Hope nobody listening has a man bun because – I think it's just a weird trend that's hopefully going to go away soon. But, uh, yeah. Well, look, Man I will buns. say this, and I will acknowledge that I, I am the long-haired guy of the 
team, and I actually will acknowledge that and talk about somebody else's question in a second. But I will say this about man buns. Here's my problem with the scraggly beard and a man bun. That feels less like an actual grooming choice and like a guy who went and hiked the Appalachian Trail for three months and didn't groom himself at all and came back in. Those guys are indistinguishable. The guy in the man bun with the scraggly <laughs> yeah, beard, right? he could have just come out of the shower this morning or he could have just walked out of the backcountry. This is not a this is not a grooming choice. It's a lack of grooming, you know. And if you're gonna and if you're gonna and I will now say this as a long haired guy, if you're gonna have long hair, at least enjoy it when it's up in a bun. What what's the point at that point? Which leads me to Bernardo's question, where he said, "Have you ever thought about cutting your hair?" Yes, I have. However, my dad went bald at eighteen, and I decided if I was gonna have hair, I was if I, I while I had hair, I was gonna keep hair. I was gonna actually have hair on my head. Also, I will acknowledge. While my hairline has receded from where it was, you know, when I first grew my hair out in college, uh, I still have a lot of hair than most men I know my age, and my wife likes it. So that pretty much trumps what everybody else thinks. Um, there will be a point at which I'm sure I can no longer maintain it as my hair continues to do the Jack Nicholson slide. Uh, I will at some point have to chop my hair off. I have never liked my hair any other length because when it gets anything other than just like completely shorn, I look like Greg Brady on a bad hair day. So it's either wear it really, really short or grow it long. These are my options with my hair. So that's far more conversation about that than I probably should have taken up your time. Well, at least you have hair. I mean, I have low shampoo bills, but at least you have hair. So You do. You know. This is true. This is true. Oh, man. All right. Michael Morris, a uh, friend of the show and uh, upcoming Focus RS driver and owner. <clears throat> Michael. Uh, yes. Looking hint, forward to that. Hint, 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 hint. Yes, going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he is asking, what is our most hilarious or most outrageous story from an everyday driver shoot? And the only one I can think of is from our mid-engines and mountains film when okay. I was driving the Elise and the deer just jumped right in front of me. I guess not so much mm -hmm. outrageous or anything, but I will say, Michael, the reason that in a lot of shots now that we have a a rear camera facing forward, so it's behind us on the back window, you can see us yeah, driving yeah. and it's pointed out the front mm -hmm. glass, that shot kind of is because of the deer story. We started doing that, yeah, you're right. not just you're to right. record you know, mishaps or whatever, but it's a great camera view shot to see us driving, mm -hmm. and to see the road ahead, to see speed, all those kinds of things. But I think that shot grew out of that incident specifically just mm -hmm. to get if something happens, well, what happened in front of the car? Let's get the shot. Yeah, that's fair. That's and, fair. And uh, that kind of freaked me out. Never really had uh, a deer jump out. I mean, a lot of, of course, horrible deer stories. But with the Elise, I feel like I could have driven through its legs. You're so low in that yeah. car. So, yeah. But we're not talking about well, cars. I hadn't. Anyway, I hadn't thought of one until you brought that up, but I'm going to say go back and listen to our podcast about shooting uh, mid edges of mountains, where we talk about people flying goats into the backcountry, uh, oh, bighorn yeah. sheep into the backcountry. That is the most unexpected thing I've ever seen on a shoot, and that that did happen. Um, I'm going to suggest. Um, well, let's see if we can get through these, the rest of these. There's only like four. All right, let's see if all we can right. get through the rest of them. Keep going. Keep rocking. Uh, uh, Eric Eric Bart Paul wrote the most absurd question of the day. <laughs> would you rather fight? <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Okay, so he's he's writing it originally to Paul, and he says, Paul, would you rather fight 50 duck-sized Todd or one Todd-sized duck? 
where did this question come from? And then he swips it, swats, <laughs> switches it around. I can't even get through it. He switches it around and says, same thing for me. Would I rather fight 50 duck-sized Pauls or one duck, <laughs> Paul-sized duck? I'm going to say, I looked at this strategically. Oh as ridiculous God. as this question is, I looked at it strategically. Because 50 of anything can surround you. One thing, I can at least keep it in front of me and know what it's doing. I don't want to see 50 hmm. duck-sized Pauls or one Paul-sized <laughs> duck, but I can't even believe I just got through that. But wow, I'm going to say I'll fight the one because at least I can keep my eye on it. There's my answer, Eric. I'm crying over here, Eric. That's really, it's really very creative. Uh, I actually said 50 duck-sized Todds because, you know, the size of a duck, that means I could kick him into the next county. So I could sort of like wade through playing soccer and kind of hopefully... We, we can't you know. even agree on that rule. Okay. All right. Good to know. This question is up there with the whole, you know, would you rather sweat cheese or fart confetti kind of thing. But that, I think this is better, actually. So um, wow. anyway. Wow. Wow. Still crying. Uh, Dan, Dan Corwin asked me about my climbing. I have done quite a bit of climbing. I have a small uh, climbing wall in my garage. Uh, I wish I climbed on it more. Uh, I used to be in pretty great climbing shape. Now I'm in okay climbing shape. Luckily, as my son gets older, we'll start climbing more. I've done a lot of sport climbing. I've done a lot of traditional climbing. For those of you that know what climbing is, uh, the hardest I ever actually got up was a 512B, I believe. Was never a great climber. Um, I could do stuff in the mid-510s now. Uh, I could do definitely mid-510 sport stuff pretty well. I could do probably 5.9, low 5.10 traditional climbing stuff, which is when you carry all the gear and you plug it in as you go. Um, I have done uh, a lot of bouldering over the years uh, and a little bit of free soloing, which is no ropes at all. So that's that short story. Wow. Uh, Dan keeps asking me what kind of physical hobbies I'm into besides driving. And I will say definitely skiing. That actually goes for both of us. Todd and I really love to ski, mm -hmm. ski together. We've got you know Park City here, which is... Epic, epic skiing, especially yeah, this last great. season was great. Uh, yeah, definitely skiing. I love uh, – I'm really getting back into cycling. I don't have a mountain bike yet, but I really want to go get one. Uh, I currently just have sort of a road bike, you know, sort of skinnier tires, and uh, I like doing that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I grew up swimming. So, again, kind of the – you and I have discussed this, kind of the non-team sport swimming is, but, yeah. you know, yeah. physical activity but not necessarily the – traditional baseball basketball that kind of stuff um yeah but uh yeah hiking camping bring it love all of it um love all that stuff and so we've got that right outside our uh, our back doors here which is pretty amazing pretty so amazing. shall we do 15 and 17 and call it do it the ones we have marked as those two okay. do it uh Actually, you know what? I'm going to jump to 17 because it relates to where we just were. Casey Cook asked, what's the most dangerous thing each of you have done? I've told uh, a stupid car story before, and I will, I will not steal the full thunder of that story, but I passed 15 cars on the right-hand shoulder at, in, at late at night in Texas on a two-lane road. Don't do that, uh, especially considering after I got back into my own lane, I then, about a quarter mile later, came across a bridge that was no wider than the two lanes. It had no shoulder with a ravine, so that could have ended badly. Uh, that was not intentionally dangerous. It was just stupid. Uh, but yeah, so we've talked about that before. Um, but most dangerous thing I've ever done, like consciously, was free solo climbing. Climbing without a rope. So it's just you and your shoes and a chalk bag. I wasn't doing overly hard stuff. It was well within my uh, climbing capability. But that is a pastime where it only has to go wrong once. And it's done. So that would be my answer there. Ballsy. Stupid, but ballsy. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, wow, yeah. Uh, dangerous thing. That would have to be when I was working for Kawasaki and they gave us their loaner bikes. So these were the bikes that they gave to the mm, press fleets, mm-hmm. the magazines. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, living in LA at the time, and I told myself, I'm never going to do the lane splitting thing, you know, where riders can, you know, sure. split the yeah. lanes and ride on the Blast white down dash the lines yep. where the cars are stopped, whether they're moving. I thought, oh, I'm never going to do that. Well, I found myself doing that. And then I told myself, oh, yep. I'm never going to do that at night. And then I found myself uh, doing oh, that at man. night. And then I said, wow. okay, well, I'm never going to do that at night and pass cars at high speed all at the same time. And then I found myself lane splitting at night above 100 miles an hour on a crotch rocket. And oh. you're right. Only has to go wrong once. And that's oh, why man. I don't ride anymore. I'm Motorcycles I've, I've are... I've never heard that story. Wow. It I'm just, glad you're here. Yeah. It was just sort of the, well, this Dang bike's man. fast. I can just twist my wrist and you just go. Mm. It's amazing. And the, you know, yeah, it is. exhilaration. It's incredible. Your adrenal glands incredible. open wide and it's just, woohoo. But yeah, stupid. Really, really so, stupid. Wow. So we should end this on another question from Michael Morris, but I really like this question and it is vaguely car related, which seems like a good place to end on. He says... If you could be any kind of race driver, what kind of race driver would you want to be? So is it Baja, Rally, F1? What kind of race driver would you be? And I looked, read this and instantly went, I know the answer. So hmm. I thought it was a good place to lend it. To end it. Where are you? Michael, I want to be a Le Mans driver. Like the 24 hours of Le Mans. I am so intrigued by yeah. the demands on the cars, the driver. I love Formula One. I love, I think rally drivers yeah. are some of the best drivers on the planet. But Absolutely. Le Mans yes. drivers, because of the, the physical toll on everything, equipment and human bodies mm-hmm. and your psyche, your emotions mm-hmm. from high to low. And at the end of 24 hours, the winner has done the most mileage. And what an accomplishment. I, I say more yeah. than any other race. It's such an amazing event. And uh, it'd have to be Lamar because you're switching out with drivers. This, and This is a good place to leave it because we are having a rare moment of complete agreement. You're kidding Everything me. Everything you said, I second. I totally agree with you. I think rally drivers are the bomb. Sebastian Loeb is from another planet. Yeah, no um, kidding. I mean, literally, the guy's, the guy's an unbelievable wheelman and obviously came up through, through him rally. Um, you know, you have the Ken Blocks of the world and guys that are just fun about car handling. That's all the rally world. That's cool. F1, Cool. Uh, you know, all the touring cars and stuff, but that 24-hour racing or endurance racing when everybody's going all out and barely getting any sleep and the concentration required, I I would love to be able to say I could do that. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. Yeah. Wow. Well, maybe we will. That's uh, that's one of our aspirations so here we are. goals, too. Yep. Here we are. Hour and 15-minute podcast. Thank you guys for staying with us on this entire uh, 100, uh, 100th podcast marathon of non-cars. We'll be back to normal programming later this week. That is right. Two times a week, Tuesdays and Fridays are now our podcast. We would welcome you to rate and review this podcast, share it with others. Thank you for those of you that have done that. We are doing videos as fast as we can on Thursdays. So when those come out, please share those and rate them as you will. Uh, We welcome your comments. We do read them all. And yes, I'm going to say it again. Adventures tab. Nice. Nice. Well, this has been... Crazy, mind-numbing. And that this is just <laughs> Very bizarre. like a, a quarter of the questions you guys sent in. It is. Just it's about a quarter amazing. And I'm sure if I refresh the page, they're going to still keep pouring in. But, uh, yeah, as Todd said, thank, thank you. you guys for listening. Thanks for the questions. 
We're looking forward to talking to more, but remember, Everyday Driver TV, Gmail, and Facebook for random questions. And in the meantime, until the 101st podcast, onwards. Thank you.